Tonight's reading um, is from Genesis 15, which can be found on page 15 of the church Bibles in front of you. After this, the words of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, out of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Great, thank you, Emily, so much. Uh, we do keep your Bibles open as we look together at Genesis chapter 15. Uh, really excited to be preaching uh, this particular passage to you this evening. Uh, but before we do anything else, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we pray uh, for all of us uh, in line with Psalm 119 that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things out of your word. There are so many wonderful things in this passage, Lord. Please would you speak to us, Lord, show us yourself, what you have done, and how that makes a difference to every one of us, whether we're not sure whether we believe in you or whether we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith. What does it make you think of? The word faith. Perhaps uh, faith makes you think of coming along to church. Perhaps faith makes you think of prayer or, or reading your Bible or, or some kind of religious practice like that. 
Uh, I think it's really interesting, notice how culture and films talk and reference faith, what, what they say about faith in movies and stuff. And I think one of the best examples of, well, I say recent years, it's really showing my age, is uh, from Indiana Jones uh, and The Last Crusade. This is the third Indiana Jones film. And uh, he goes in search of the Holy Grail, this sort of mystical cup that, that Jesus was supposed to have used at the Last Supper that has all these healing uh, properties. And true Indiana Jones, he's chased by all these Nazis who are trying to get the treasure and the power. And Anyway, he gets to this great big chasm, as you can see in the picture. And, well, it seems like a dead end. He can see on the other side this opening that he needs to get through, but it's 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 dozens of meters away. He'll never make it there, and he has this real panic about what he's going to do. He can't see how he's going to get to the other side. So he gets his little map thing out and it says that required to get across is a leap of faith. And he goes, oh, a leap of faith. And he can hear Sean Connery, who plays his father in the background, saying, you must believe, boy. <laughs> and he's going, oh, this leap of faith, how am I going to do it? So, very dramatic in the film. He's, I don't know how he gets his leg this high. He steps out And he doesn't know what's going to happen. This leap of faith, he steps out and he doesn't fall. And then the camera pans to one side and you see actually there was a bridge there all along. But it had been painted, it had been disguised to make it look like there wasn't one. And then he can get across to the other side and it all ends happily. Well, fairly happily. Is that, is that what people think of when they think about faith? I think that's what a lot of people think. That it's kind of just sort of trying to hope and, and stepping across this invisible valley. And well, maybe you'll get to the other side. But the Bible talks about faith in a completely different way. When the Bible's talking about faith, it isn't talking about some kind of hopeful leap out into this, this gorge and maybe you'll get across. When the Bible talks about faith, It's this. Faith is a deep trust in God's character and in what he has done for us. Faith is built upon who God says he is and the promises he makes about us as well. That is what faith is. It's not this blind leap into something. Which is why I think maybe trust is a better word than faith. We make decisions all the time based on trust. And as we think about this passage, Genesis 15, it tells us a lot about faith. It tells us a lot about trust. And the three ways we're going to think about that this evening is how it tells us what trust looks like in our lives today and the things that we are facing in our lives at the moment. And also how we can trust God for things in the future, those things that are still to come. And it gives us great reassurance for how we can trust God in the first place. So let's think about what it looks like to trust God in our lives today, in the here and now, how we can trust God in the here and now. If you closed your Bibles, open them back up to Genesis 15 as we look through this passage together. It starts off by saying this in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield, your very great reward. Now, after this means that last last week in chapter 14, we were looking at how Abraham had defeated all these kings with unpronounceable names. 
And he'd rescued his nephew Lot. So, so there's been a battle. It's taken place. And now, you know, Abraham should be enjoying life. It's peace after the war. But do you notice God says to Abraham, don't be afraid. Now, that as the first time I read that, they were setting off all sorts of questions. Why would Abraham be afraid? He's already been in battle. And now, surely, he should be feeling peace, shouldn't he? Well, there's perhaps all sorts of reasons why Abraham's being afraid. We don't entirely know. Perhaps it's because he's scared about what, what these other people left over from chapter 14 are going to do to him. That's a possibility. But I think actually the fear is a, more rooted than that. And we see that in the next few verses. Abraham has got not no, so much a fear. Sometimes you experience fear if, uh, if you're in the heat of a situation. You get that kind of fight or flight mentality. You get that fear. But I think what Abraham is experiencing here is more kind of anxiety. That there's something that isn't right in Abraham's life. And, and that's why God is telling him not to be afraid. And we'll see that in a moment. You see, Abraham still doesn't have what God had promised him. It's really important that we read Genesis 15 in the light of Genesis 12. Because in Genesis 12, God has made this amazing promise to Abraham that he will make him into a great nation. Well, how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen just by Abraham on his own being a great nation. It's going to come by him having children. That's how he's going to become a great nation. And so we see Abraham has this desire for a son. And I think this is what's underpinning this sense of anxiety and why God tells him not to be afraid. He says this in verse 2 and 3. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, it's not a bad thing to have a desire for a child. I'm sure there are many people here who don't have children who would desire to have them. In fact, uh, Claire and myself, we'd love to have more children. We don't know if that's God's plan for our family or not. We, we pray about it. We ask God for help. We don't know. But Abraham wants a son so that that promise that God made him in Genesis 12 can come true. Abraham wants offspring. He wants a legacy. He wants his name to continue in line with God's promise for him. And think about what the, the alternatives would have been like in Abraham's day. For him to not have any children, well, people would think that he had been cursed, that he had done something wrong, and that's why he's not getting children. But we know from the Bible that that's not true. Abraham is feeling that this, this impossible promise, don't forget that Abraham is already old at this point, this impossible promise, it seems to him, that God's promise would be fulfilled, that he would have children, but he still asks God. He still says, Lord, what can you give me? I'm still childless. I can't see how this promise is going to be fulfilled. I don't know how to trust you. Well, look at verse 4 and how God answers him. Then the word of the Lord came to him. God says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, 
will be your heir. Look at how God answers him. See, Abraham wanted a child to pass on his legacy so that that promise would be fulfilled. But look, God doesn't stop there. Abraham wanted one son. That's all he'd asked for. We see that he can trust God even if he doesn't have that son yet. But look what God was promising, even greater than one son. Verse 5, God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I don't know if you've ever tried to to count the number of stars in the sky, untold millions and billions of stars in our galaxy and in our universe. And God was promising that number of descendants for Abraham, not just one son, not just one child, but unnumbered descendants. How much greater is God's promise than, than what Abraham was asking him to do? You see, God's plans are far greater for us than we would ever have for ourselves. And we see as we read on through the Bible how God answers that promise. We see those 12 tribes of Israel, Abraham's descendants, filling that nation and then going out into the world. You see, how we decide to trust God is, I would say, the most important thing that we will ever do in our life. Whether we decide to trust God, to have faith in his character and in his promise to us. And we'll think a bit more later about what it is he promises us. But whether we choose to trust God or not, that is the most important thing that we will ever do in our life. And it's what... is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. This trust of God. And we see what that trust leads to in this amazing verse coming next. Verse 6. Let's have a look at it. Verse 6. After this promise had been made to Abraham, this seemingly impossible promise that he would have a child at this old age, and not only that, he would have descendants as numerous as the stars. What did Abraham do? He believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. This is one of the most wonderful, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. It's picked up time and time again in the New Testament as well by Paul and by James. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Something supernatural, something incredible is going on here. This trust of an old man in a spectacular promise. But let's think about what this is. This isn't just Abraham believing in God. Now, lots of people say that they believe in God or they believe in a God. This isn't that. Abraham believes God. Do you see the difference? He's not just believing that God exists, but he is believing, he is trusting God's promise to him and that God's character will back up that promise. This is trusting God for who he is and what he says. You see, trust is at the root of any relationship, isn't it? 
if you can't trust someone where it's very hard to have a relationship. And you see, God is 100% trustworthy. He's unlike any of us, certainly unlike me. God is 100% trustworthy. But look what happens when we trust him. He gives us himself. He gives us his righteousness. Righteousness is, is, a, is a really full word in the Bible. It crops up again and again. He gives us his forgiveness. All the bad things we do, it's as if we had never done them when we believe God. But not only does he forgive us, he adopts us. He gives us his perfect character. He counts us as righteous in his sight, forgiven, adopted, when we trust him, when we believe him. And it almost links back to what he says to Abraham about why he shouldn't be afraid in verse 1. He says, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I'll protect you from whatever it is, whether it's these other kings coming after him or whether it's this, this fear, this anxiety he has about remaining childless. But look what he says, your very great reward. God is Abraham's reward. That, that could mean that your reward will be very great or it could mean that God himself is Abraham's reward. He is the greatest treasure that, that Abraham could ever desire. A relationship with God himself. And he gets that just by believing God, his promises, his character. By trusting him, by having faith in him. And you see, God can be our greatest treasure too. There is no greater treasure than having a relationship with God. You see, in the here and now, for today, we can trust God. We can trust God in the here and now today by believing in what he has done for us. Not just believing in a God, but by believing in what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus. And what does he do at that moment? He promises to give us his perfect righteousness, forgiveness, adoption, eternal life based on God's promise forever. That's how we can trust God in the here and now. So let's move on from that. We thought about how we can trust God today in the here and now. What about in the future? A lot of people get anxieties about the future. How can we trust God about that when we think about the future? Well, Abraham hasn't finished asking questions. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. That, that Abraham wants this assurance of God's plan. Firstly, God says to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. You see, Abraham's first question was about whether he would have any children and how that would fulfill God's promise. But his second question is about this land, this promised land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. Abraham was saying, God, how can I know that I will get that? How can I know that you are good for your promise for that too? And he says that in verse 8. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? But you see, this, this, this question, I think, is actually coming from a position of faith. We've already seen that in verse 6. God trusts, a, uh, sorry, Abraham trusts God, but he wants to know how this is going to happen. On those days when I doubt God, when I wake up and I'm just not sure, how can I know that you are good for your promises? 
And I'm sure many of us echo those kind of concerns as well. Sometimes we feel full of faith and, and some mornings we doubt. But what is it we can look to to trust? Well, firstly, we have God's word, the Bible. Don't forget Abraham's just being written about in, in Genesis 15. He doesn't know everything that we know about God, his faithfulness, how he has revealed himself through, as Hebrews says, through the prophets. And lastly, in his son, the Lord Jesus. You see, it's not bad to ask questions when life gets hard. In fact, that's a much better thing to do than just to remain quiet, to ask God how we can know that he's for us and not against us, how we can know that he's real, that he loves us. Actually, those are really good questions to ask when you're in those periods of doubt. But we don't stop there because as we think about the future and we look how we can trust God for the future, we see in this passage and, and elsewhere in scripture that God has got the future sorted. It is in his hands. He is planning it. He knows what will happen. His word is good. And Abraham can know that God's word is good. Look at verse 9. This is where it all gets a bit mysterious. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And you're thinking, okay, um, Abraham and ask God how he can how he, he can know that, that, that God will, will be faithful, how he can trust him. And he starts bringing all these animals along. What's happening here? Well, you see, we may not understand what's going on, but there's no doubt that Abraham knew what God was asking him to do. He was going to ask him to make a sacrifice, or particularly, he was going to ask him to make a covenant. Now, again, a covenant is like one of those words that that pops up time and time again. We read it in the Bible. We hear about it in church. A covenant is like a contract. But the way covenants were were, were acted out, they they can be, well, as you can, we will go on to see, particularly kind of uh, uh, grisly. They're not particularly pleasant if you've got a, a weak stomach. But actually, the, the, the visual imagery we see in a covenant is really helpful to understand just how serious it is. And it's the kind of thing that if you were a landowner at the time and you were going into a contract with someone else who was looking after your land, you would go into a covenant with them. And there are, there are three bits to a covenant. And fortunately, they all begin with P. Well, I think they begin with P. And, uh, and we see that in this passage. The first one is preparation. Then you've got the promises then you've got the pass through. <laughs> Bit dodgy that one, but anyway, it begins with P. Preparation promises pass through. So we've seen the preparation. That's what Abraham's doing. He's getting the animals there, and in verse 10, he's brought all of them. He's cut them in two and arranged them in halves. So we imagine you've got sort of like half an animal on one side and half on the other side, and and going all the way through like that. It's I don't know if any of you have seen any Damien Hurst artwork where he like cuts the animal to it's, it's a little bit like that. So he's got all these animals cut in half, and the idea of the covenant is the two people going into this contract into this covenant would pass through together and as you'd made the promises you would see the grisly cut up animals on either side and it's a reminder that if either of you break this covenant contract that's what's going to end up happening to you okay 
It's far more grim than just, just signing a contract and reading through the terms and conditions. Imagine if terms and conditions were like that, cut up animals. I think we'd think a lot more carefully about what we signed, wouldn't we? So you've got the preparation that, that Abraham does. He's obedient to God in that. Then you've got the promises. And then you've got the pastoral. Let's have a look at the promises then in verses 12 to 15. As the sun was setting... Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is a sign of God's presence. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Amazing prophecy by God there of what will happen in the book of Exodus those hundreds of years later. He says, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God makes all these promises and those promises tell us that not only does God know the future, but God is in control of the future. He doesn't give Abraham absolutely all the details, but he gives him enough to trust him and to know what will happen to successive generations. We see that those promises won't be fulfilled straight away and many of them will take hundreds of years to come to pass. Even that bit in there about um, the sin of the Amorites. God is waiting for those people who currently live in the land. Actually, he's giving them time to turn from their sin and turn to him. He's not just getting rid of them immediately. He's giving them time to repent and turn to God. You see, those promises won't be fulfilled straight away. Abraham will have to wait. And that's a good principle as we think about trusting God in the future. Because actually, our expectations don't always fit up with God's timing, do they? Sometimes we pray about something and it seems that that prayer is answered straight away. But sometimes it takes time. Weeks, months, years. Sometimes we never see that in our lifetime. Sometimes when we're we're talking with friends at school or with colleagues or family members and, and talking to them about our faith, about Jesus, we don't know if they'll respond there and then or maybe in 10 or 20 years time or maybe even after we die. We don't know. We're just obedient to what God has called us to do. And we leave that bit down to God and his timing. But what this does is to help us keep going in trust. So in terms of thinking about this covenant, we've seen the preparation. We've seen these grisly signs of of what uh, the two parties would go through as they enter into this covenant contract. As God and Abraham are going to be making these promises. We see the promises themselves that God is making about what life will be like in the land and when that will happen. But as we think about how we can trust God, and as we think about this third point, this pass through, we see a twist. If any of you like those uh, M. Night Shyamalan films, there's always a twist at the end, isn't there? You know, like, oh no, the twist. You know, someone turns out, you thought they were alive and they were dead or, or something like that. We see an incredible twist in this story. And I wonder what Abraham was thinking. You see, in the covenant, in this, in this amazing contract that happens, normally both sides would pass through. But that doesn't happen. Look at verses 17 and 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
So this is God's presence passing through. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Do you see what's missing? Only God is going through the covenant promise. Not Abraham. God goes through alone. And we just need to think about the implications of this. You see, God is actually representing both his side and Abraham's side. God is the only one to go through and to commit to this covenant. You see, this shows us how we can trust God today and in the future is by God's commitment to that promise. That he is the one who will remain faithful, even if we mess it up. It's not going to be us who is cut. Not going to be us who is facing that grisly death. Not his people. This is his commitment to the promise that through Abraham, through this nation, just like he promised in Genesis 12, the whole world, the nations would be blessed. So what would happen if Abraham's side failed to keep the promise? Who would face the consequences? Not Abraham, but God. And it begs the question then, how, well, if that is the case, how far is God willing to go to to keep that covenant promise? Well, we finish up with this, what is like a, like a trailer to the blockbuster. We don't get the full movie here. We get the trailer that, that whets your appetite and makes you want to, to read on more and see the full feature itself. You see, in verses 18 and 19, and, and in this passage with that covenant promise that God makes, we see a trailer to the blockbuster. We see this pointing to a new covenant. You see, God has still got his plan, his promise to bless all of the nations. But this is a trailer to the blockbuster. You see, thousands of years later, after God went through this covenant promise, thousands of years later, darkness would again descend on a hill outside Jerusalem. And God himself remembering his promise, would be cut to fulfill our failure to keep his covenant. A new covenant, made not by spilling animals' blood, but the Son of God's blood. To secure all of us who believe him, who trust him, to get into that promised land. I wonder, do you realize the lengths that God has gone to, to get that for you? His commitment to stay faithful to that covenant promise. And what is required of us? Well, all that is required of us is to trust him, to believe him, his character, his promise to us that all who trust in him shall not die, but have eternal life. 
You see, being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, means to trust in that blood of his new covenant. I wonder, as you think about maybe anxieties you're facing in your life at the moment, or maybe things in the future, or how you can trust God. Well, I wonder, is this the kind of God maybe you can trust? One who is that willing to secure your place in eternity with him. Is that the kind of God you can trust? One that would die for you. If it is, and you never thought about that before, and, and, and this is all new to you, and you want to take that first step of saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you did that for me. I want to trust that you did that for me. Well, I'm just going to lead us now in a short prayer. And wherever we are at, we can recommit to trusting God today and in the future because of what he has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy. We can trust you in whatever we are experiencing in our lives at the moment, whatever anxiety, for whatever fears we may have for the future. We thank you that that's not like a a blind leap across a, a cavern, but that is by looking to the Lord Jesus and what he has done in our place on the cross and saying, yes, I believe. Yes, I trust you have died in my place. You have forgiven my sin. You have adopted me into your family. You have given me your righteousness, your perfect character. Lord, please strengthen me by your Holy Spirit. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.